New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Today we'll be featuring On the Rise, a project of New Dimensions Radio, produced and hosted by Molly Rowan Leach and co-produced by Justine Willis-Toms. Consciousness is changing for the better. Along with this leap in consciousness, there is some amount of chaos. Justine Willis-Toms presents four keys to finding and maintaining our true compass, our true direction in the midst of this great turning. Today, we'll be exploring these four keys for thriving in a chaotic world. As we launch this inaugural edition of On the Rise, a project of New Dimensions Radio. Since 1973, Justine Willis-Toms has been exploring personal, social, and spiritual transformation through her work as an electronic journalist, editor, and writer. She is co-founder, executive director, and host of New Dimensions Radio. She is a founding convener of the Millionth Circle Initiative and has been actively involved in circle work since 1980, including being a founding member of a mixed circle of men and women who have been meeting regularly since 1980. She has been meeting in a circle of women for over 30 years and serves on the board of World Prayers as well as Women's Perspective. In June 2004, she was one of 30 people in the world invited to participate in the Synthesis Dialogues with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. She was inducted into the Broadcasters Hall of Fame in 2011. She is the author of True Work, Doing What You Love, and Loving What You Do, along with Michael Toms, as well as Small Pleasures, Finding Grace in a Chaotic World. Join us for the next hour as we explore the four keys for thriving in a chaotic world with our very special guest, Justine Willis-Toms. I'm Molly Rowan Leach. I'll be your host. Welcome to On the Rise. So, Justine, I just want to share with you how deeply moved I am to be able to be here with you today, as I myself, as so many others, have been inspired by New Dimensions Radio over the years and feeling supported in expanding my own worldviews, even as a teen growing up in the 1970s and 80s. I just wonder if you would please um, do us the honor and share with us how 
New Dimensions came to be and what inspired its inception specifically? Oh, great. I just, I would love to go back to those origins. Thank you for asking about that. And um, I think that really what I need to talk about is the origins of my relationship with Michael Toms, who passed away in 2013. And um, so we were together for like 41 years or 40 years and, and did this work together. And it started off with a conversation that we had. And I must say that looking back on that conversation, New Dimensions actually started formally nine months after that conversation. So you could say it's, it was a seminal event, and, and the conversation was when I had first met Michael, I thought, oh, this is such a great guy. This, he is just like so interesting. I want to get to know him better. I, I, I just I loved so many things about him. I was so attracted to his energy and, and in all ways. And, but I knew that I had to figure out how we were going to leapfrog over my spiritual practice at the time because I was very much embroiled in or involved in a, a particular spiritual practice, which at that time, was I was a practicing Jehovah's Witness, of all things. Now, I didn't, I didn't start off as, as a witness. I started off in my early years. I grew up Episcopalian, and then I moved to the South, and then I became a Southern Baptist. I loved the music, and I did that for about six years. And then I moved out West, and I started backpacking and just getting into nature. And, and, and long, it's a long story, but I won't go into the, all the details. I decided became a Jehovah's Witness for various reasons. I loved the way that they looked at the Bible and the way they studied the Bible. And it, they have a more intellectual approach to the Bible. Um, and so... I knew that I had to work that out with Michael because if our relationship was going to go forward, we needed to work this out. And so either he was going to have to become a witness or something else was going to have to happen. So I came over, I called him, and I came over to his house, and I was just laden down with all these books that the, the Watchtower Association puts out. And he invited me into his townhouse, and we went down into the second bedroom, which he had turned into a library. And it was floor-to-ceiling books about every sort of philosophy and spiritual ideas and 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 religions. It was from the Bhagavad Gita, which uh, he had. Uh, like all those books uh, from the Gita, he had the uh, there was Tarot, there was Judaism, there was Science of Mind, there was um, I mean it just when it was, everything was there, and I just sort of looked at all of that and I said, now I don't want to talk about any of that. I I just want to talk about the Bible, and I want to talk about 
I want to use my translation of the Bible. And it was at that point that something very profound happened. I didn't realize that just off of his left shoulder, there there was a shelf, and the whole shelf was filled up with different translations of the Bible. I, I wow. hadn't noticed that. And and he reached back and he pulled out this green book, which was the New World Translation, which was my the Bible that I wanted to use. <laughs> and he said, "Do you do you do you mean this one?" And I remember thinking in my head, "Oh my goodness, maybe he's being more inclusive than I am." I remember thinking mm. that specifically. And uh, nevertheless, I, I still needed to to really talk about specific scripture. And I would go, I, I wish that I could remember which scriptures we actually went through. But but the witnesses, when they talk about the Bible, they, they give the whole historical context and they do the whole chapter. They don't just pull out a single verse mm-hmm. and use it— um, uh, the in my experience, the Southern Baptists they would pick out a verse here and there, and that's what they would use. But the witnesses use the whole context, and so I'd say now I was feeling like I really knew what I was talking about. Uh, that if 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 we read it this way, we can understand this is what it means. And what he said to me every time I would say that. Rather than saying, no, Justine, that's wrong. He never said that, which was very interesting. It, he was using, and it wasn't a technique for him. It was who he was. He, in, in that We now talk about it in the terms of, of both and instead of either or. That's kind of a technique that, that mm. is now in the culture, and people use it now pretty pretty often, and it's pretty established. But at that time, remember, this is 1972, and it, it wasn't part of the culture yet, but it was part of his culture. And he would say, well, yes, you might look at it like this. And every time he said that, he put whatever it was that I was saying, my interpretation, he put it in a bigger context. And it it, it just started expanding out into this wider landscape. Mm. And the more we talked, we talked all All night. night long. We stayed up all night long talking. And the more we talked, the more excited I got. And it turned out that on a mythological level, that was the beginning of New Dimensions. We mm. didn't have microphones at that point on. We weren't mm-hmm. doing radio at that point. That came later. But but it, it was the conversation, and we have been having that conversation now for over 40 years and in just pushing out the boundaries of possibilities of of how we can hold hold a, a, 
a new way of thinking, uh, how we can be more creative, how we can go out on that creative edge and 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 continue to be curious and and greater, deeper understanding. Uh, so that was the beginning of new dimensions. Mm. Uh, although the, it took us years to realize that. That's what I was just going to ask is do you do you feel that you had a sense? After that, that sacred and expansive all-night conversation with Michael, that there was something to come. Well, I, I, I did and I didn't because what what happened after that? I moved in with him right then, and and we were, we were married later in that that year. And mm-hmm. um, it, what he did at that point, he was um, studying. Uh, Tibetan Buddhism at that point. And I I then would be with him, uh, go to these. It was like throwing myself in the deep end of the pool, being a Jehovah's Witness, and suddenly I'm practicing Buddhism. And it was like uh, and meditation and these sorts of things. And I, I was just, just surprised and shocked by all that I was learning Wonderful. Well, Justine, again, it's just so marvelous to be with you here today on this inaugural segment of On the Rise. And we're going to jump into the four keys that you share so deeply um, and cover in your book, Small Pleasures, Finding Grace in a Chaotic World. Um, And again, I'm here with Justine Willis-Toms, co-founder, executive director, and host of New Dimensions Radio and author of Small Pleasures. If you'd like to learn more about the work of Justine Willis-Toms, you may go to newdimensions.org. I'm Molly Rowan Leach. You're listening to On the Rise, a project of New Dimensions. I'm here with Justine Willis-Toms, co-founder, executive director, and host of New Dimensions Radio. Justine, let's go ahead and dive into the four keys for thriving in chaotic times. Um, You have spoken about the caterpillar, which becomes a butterfly in a very significant and metaphorical way. Can you speak to that, please, and unpack the stunning significance it has? Well, I love the story of the caterpillar uh, because it really is a metaphor for our times. And one of the ideas of the caterpillar for me is just before it 
goes into its cocoon, it has this voracious appetite, and it's eating everything in sight. And we can kind of feel that in these Mm. times, like we're Mm -hmm. eating up the planet in in many ways. We're eating up the resources. We're we're eating each other up, you know, and hurting one another in so many ways. And and, uh, there's so much going on. And it's almost like that, that time of the caterpillar where it's just eating, eating, eating and stripping the trees of their greenery, and then it goes into this cocoon. It spins this cocoon. And what is significant that happens when it spins the cocoon is that it starts to liquefy. Mm. I, I just find that phenomenal, mm-hmm. that it lets go of everything it's known in the past. It lets go of its body. It lets go of everything so much that it just becomes liquid. Mm. And then what is present in that liquid form are something that scientists call the imaginal cells. These are cells that are in in the caterpillar that are in in its life cycle have always been there, but they start to get activated at this point when the caterpillar is liquid, and they start to coalesce. They start to come together, and I think of that in ways like what we're doing now in this time, in this place right now, that those of us are coming together as each one of us, you, Molly, are an imaginal cell of possibility, of hopefulness, of, of, of great contribution for livingness on this planet. And I am, and our listeners are, and we're, we're, coalescing we're starting to come together and in that in specifically in the caterpillar as it start these imaginal cells start coming together these are imagining the butterfly it is to become and and so Mm. it it, it emerges i Mm -hmm. i mean from this this green, how many legged, you know, caterpillar <laughs> right. that's just sort of munching away and, you know, you know, inchworming itself, very earthbound to this magnificent creature, this butterfly. And we all, it, butterflies for us are, are, are we, we think of them as a, we use them as a symbol of beauty. And of lightness, and we use butterflies as a symbol of so many good things. And so this, this caterpillar becomes this butterfly, and that's where we are now in, in the world today. Mm. That it, it gives me hope for the future, even though I can't see the future I, it, it, clearly. I don't know how this is going to all come out. But it gives me hope to know that a caterpillar can become, can be transformed into a butterfly. Justine, this story, share with us, if you would, your sense of how we can, again, um, 
bring ourselves to center with these four keys that we're speaking about today, as well as um, practices like how nature, how this process that Barbara Marks Hubbard, one of the people, the women that I respect so deeply in our world, calls diliquescence. I believe it's called diliquescence. And this process of the imaginal cells, at one point, the, the old cells and the new to come are, are working with each other and not quite sure which way to go, right? And then something happens where the new cells of the butterfly um, overtake, if you will, the old and such the process that you describe. Can you, can you speak a bit more about how that might be um, something that we can remember and bring back to ourselves as we um, look out to nature and, and connect with nature and her processes in this way? Well, I'm, I, thank you. I, I'm thinking that for, for me, I'm remembering something that Michael used to say. Mm. He used to say, he used, and actually other people have said this, hope is believing in spite of the evidence. Mm-hmm. So uh, other people have said that. But Michael adds something to it. And working actively to change the evidence. So hope is believing in spite of the evidence and working actively to change the evidence. And in that way, we're, we're at that point. We can look at all the news services. We look at what's happening in the world, and we wonder, are these these destructive forces, are they going to win out? Is this what's going to happen? Is this where we're headed? Or is is it going in a way that supports all life that that brings it into accord with the the way nature works uh, in in so beautifully? Are are we going to go that direction? What what direction? We we, we really don't know. But if we if we have that hope. And, and we remain, uh, one of the keys that I, I talk about is um, being uh, optimistic. And, and if we hold that optimism uh, that, that things are going to work out for the better, for all livingness, for all species, that things will work out. And if we add our activism to that hope, then we've done our part. We have to hold the hope. Mm-hmm. We have to be active. We have to do our part, work with what's close to us. We, we don't have to go out and change the whole world. That's the other part of it is that uh, it, it's really important that we, we not implode on ourselves because there's too much to do and we just feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. So we need to move forward with what I call it, what's close to us, with what mm-hmm. what is ours to do. That's what's required of us, not more than that. So not to get depressed about how how we may not be making, feel like we're making a difference we are making a difference. I, I oh, There's a story I want to tell about making a difference. This is a story of a colleague of mine uh, uh, who is now retired, Tom Greenaway. 
And when he moved up to where we were living at the time and working at the time, Ukiah, California, it was a small town. And one of the things that he would do every week was that he would go to the city council meetings. Every Wednesday, they had public meetings. And he would go and he would be there every single week. And he would sit kind of in the back of the room. And sometimes he'd go and there would be just, you know, hundreds of people there because there would be some issue that everybody was up in arms about. And they people would have their two, two minutes at the mic and they would talk and they would, you know, present their views. And, and other weeks, no one was there but Tommy. Other weeks, mm. it would just be Tommy sitting there mm-hmm. as the city council went about their business. And and the council wondered, who is this guy, you know, because he never said a word. <laughs> he never went up to the microphone. He never, he never gave his opinion. He just sat there. And what he was doing in sitting there was he was loving these people in his heart. He was holding them in his heart, wishing them for the highest good possible. And he he just, that's all he was doing, just silently, just sending them love. And um, when he retired, we had a retirement party for him. And, and some of the councilmen members came to that party. And I remember one of them, one, one of them said, you know, Tommy, by your being there and witnessing us every week, we did a better job. We we were better at our work because you were there week in and week out. Now, I tell that story, Molly, because it, it, it may seem like a small thing to sit there loving your city council, uh, but the the regularity of it, the intention of it, made a difference. It it radiated out to the mm. entire mm-hmm. community that 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 seemingly small act. So uh, when when we talk about the imaginal cells, going back to the imaginal cells, which which ones which ones are, are the old cells, the caterpillar cells going to to predominate, or will we go to the butterfly cells? Well, we find those places that we can make a contribution that's close to us. That's our, as Jean Shinoda Bolin will say, it's we find our assignment. And that assignment, one of the things that she says about our assignment is that it has to be joyful. And that's one of my principles is that um, joy is is follow it's important that we follow our joy because that is sustainable it sustains us in whatever it is that we're doing if if it's not joyful if it's a drudgery and we, it, it, it's hard to maintain it but mm. if we find it joyful it's easy to continue it hmm Wonderful. I, I'd like to just briefly go back and touch on the honor that I had of listening to an interview between Jean Houston and she interviewed Michael. And one of the things that 
they went into was Michael's um, uh, preparatory process and the importance of, beside um, reading the books and getting to know the, the thousands of people that you've interviewed, he said, the most important thing was presence. So we are speaking today here with Justine Willis-Toms, co-founder, executive director, and host of New Dimensions Radio, and author of Small Pleasures, Finding Grace in a Chaotic World. I'm Molly Rowan Leach, and you are listening to On the Rise, a project of New Dimensions Radio. I'm here with Justine Willis-Toms, co-founder, executive director, and host of New Dimensions Radio. Justine, let's go back for a moment and unpack and outline the four keys. Um, We've been, of course, um, conversing around them and interweaving with them, but let's get more specific and ground level with them now. Oh, thank you. I'd like to just, just briefly, I'll just outline the four keys as as I see them, and there are many, many keys. I mean, people can get, can tap into all sorts of wonderful ideas and, and efforts uh, to live a more full and robust life uh, that contributes to the liveliness and enliveningness of others. But uh, for me, the, the four that pop from for me mm-hmm. through the work that I've done with new dimensions for over 41 years now uh over four decades is is um are the four keys are the first one is to circulate and not isolate that mm. is uh to rub shoulders with life to get out into life we're in a time of uh, extreme isolation, mm-hmm. even even our social media uh, can tend to isolate us. Even though it connects us on some level, on other levels, we're sitting home alone with our computers or our iPads or whatever it is, our texting, and and we're we're not really rubbing shoulders with life in quite the same way as as we would as as we get out of our house and either walk in nature or be with friends face to face. There's something that happens when we get out in the corridors of life. Synchronicities happen. So that's the first key that I would encourage people to do is to to circulate, not isolate. The second key is, and we've talked about and we've talked about this briefly. Stay curious. And curiosity is an antidote to fear. So to to remain curious about how, how is this going to turn out? To wonder about that instead of um, 
thinking, oh, you know, going into worry, um, which is then uh, the the third key, be optimistic, which is an antidote to worry. And um, in insofar as worry goes, I've been thinking about worry a lot lately, and I I think about worry. If I'm worried, if I catch myself being worried, I have to look at it carefully to say, is is this effective? Is this worry effective? Is this leading me to something that's useful? Is this leading me to to move in a direction, as we were saying, to... Um, Hope is believing in spite of the evidence and working actively to change the evidence. So if I'm worried about some piece of evidence, is it is it leading me to be actively transforming that evidence in my life? If it's if it's just an obsession and just a, a litany of of oh my goodness, this is just terrible. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Uh, then that's where curiosity comes in to say, oh, to ask myself, oh, I wonder how this will turn out. And I've done this practice. I, it actually works when I'm in worry to then be curious about how something might turn out. And that allows the field of possibility to expand when I'm curious and when I turn worry into optimism and into uh, hope, believing in the future uh, and actively working for it in spite of the evidence and working toward uh, changing the evidence. And the fourth one for me is so important is to develop circle of friends of the heart who support me in my fullness so this is, uh, and in this uh, we can talk about this a little more too uh, at some point because I feel like this is such an important aspect of our lives. You know, when when we are together with friends of our hearts, we actually are more intelligent when we are together with friends mm. of the heart that mm -hmm. witness us and support us in our fullness. Now, get, being in circle with these friends, I'm not talking about a therapeutic circle. I'm talking about a kind of circle where people actually witness us. And, you know, it reminds me of that African saying, um, which is a friend is someone who knows your song and sings it to you when you have forgotten it, you mm. know uh, these are these are people who are, are who love you and who are not fooled by the dark images you might have of yourself, because uh, as the African saying goes, they remember your beauty when you feel ugly, and they remember your wholeness when you are broken. And your innocence when you feel guilty, and your purpose when you feel confused. 
So they hold that for you because they have seen you in your genius. They know your genius. They know your beauty. Sometimes we're the last ones to know of our own genius and our own beauty. And it's so beautiful to have it reflected back from our friends who who know us in our fullness. Those are the four keys that I, I feel are are useful in in our lives that that will help us in many ways. And you've you have, as I mentioned earlier, as we opened today, been a part of circle processes and conducting and, and participating and sharing in circles for a good portion of your lifetime. And I wonder if you might share with us what happens in a circle specifically that makes it perhaps different than anything else in that it allows us to see one another, as you said, um, beyond uh, our own self-foolishness of our dark images of ourselves and, and to see the light within each other and also to feel safe, to allow a space of interconnection and not isolation as that first key is. To, to occur for me for me it's it happens over time with a specific group of people so uh, what I encourage people to do is to to actually have a formal circle and that is where you actually sit in a round circle where everyone can see everyone and there are certain principles and this you can look them up on the internet in many ways uh, you uh, I know that the I'm part of as you mentioned in your opening thoughts that I'm part of millionth circle and if you look up uh, millionthcircle.org you can find these principles in of circle where where everyone speaks uh, we uh, in my circles we might have a talking stick or something that we use, and when somebody's holding that, they have the floor and they're not interrupted. It's much the same as the 12-step programs uh, that that you have. They are marvelous uh, edition of of the circle principles. And, and you trade leadership so that not just one person is the leader, and then it becomes... Um, authoritarian, so to speak. Uh, so you share your the leadership. So when you sit in circle together over a period of time, you start to and and you have a presence. You 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 are there deeply listening. It's a deep listening with your heart, not just your head. And you, you're you're not being in judgment. You're not. Whatever is being said, you're you're holding it in a with a loving presence, and you're hearing it. And what I've noticed, Molly, through the years, there is a I'm going to use the word magic that happens, and the magic that happens is that when I am deeply, deeply witness, when I feel deeply, deeply received by another, I am transformed. And I, it's an alchemical thing. 
And it's not that they tell me, give me advice. It's not about advice. It's not about anything that they say. It's just by their presence in, in, to my being and witnessed and in, in that deep witnessing exchange, I find that whatever it is that I've been concerned about starts to dissolve. I've seen it happen over and over and over again because these people who love me and who know me, who have sat with me over time, know know me better than even I know my I'm I I allow myself to know myself and through time I start to see what they see and then I I start to live into that like the imaginal cell I start to live into that mm. butterfly of mm-hmm. who I am rather than the caterpillar of who I am because because people have confidence in me they've shown me confidence and it's it's grounded it's not just airy fairy it's grounded it's real so i just in, encourage everyone to to start a circle and it doesn't have to be big it can be you can just ask for two or three people to join you on a regular basis however often you meet and and to do it regularly and you will find that it builds up a field of energy. Mm. So I, I highly encourage people to start a circle of their own. And it really brings up for me personally, Justine, the, the honoring of the Haudenosaunee people and of our wisdom keepers from the past, our indigenous peoples knew well um, in their hearts and in their practices, the importance of gathering in a sacred way, um, even as simple as two or more gathered giving thanks together. There is that power, as you mentioned, something beyond what we can translate with our, our little brains into a field of our interconnectivity. And um, of course, Lynn McTaggart and other authors uh, and our, our fellow colleagues really go into that with their work. I'm speaking today with Justine Willis-Toms, who is the author of Small Pleasures, Finding Grace in a Chaotic World. I'm Molly Rowan-Leach. You are listening to On the Rise, a project of New Dimensions Radio.
I'm here with Justine Willis-Toms, co-founder, executive director, and host of New Dimensions Radio. Justine, I'd really love to share a passage from your book, Small Pleasures, Finding Grace in a Chaotic World, which seems very significant in these times, especially. And it's from the um, section called The Absolute and the Relative. And you say, Early on in my relationship with Michael, I worried a lot. Michael would help me stop my mind from spinning by asking me, Justine, are you cold right now? To which I'd answer no. He would ask me, are you hungry? I'd say no. He'd ask, is there a roof over your head right now? I'd have to admit there was indeed a roof protecting me from the heat and the cold and the rain. Then he would say, so why are you worrying? And he would repeat the words of Swami Vivekananda. What right do you have to bring worry into the world? To the extent that you are worrying, you don't believe in God. And you, you say, that thought has always helped me to quiet my mind and take the next step along my path. If you can, please expand on that beautiful passage. Oh, thank you for reminding me of, of that, that beautiful, as you say, beautiful quote of Vivekananda, who um, is, first came to the U.S. in 1893, I believe, and just took the culture by storm. People just loved him at the first parliament of world's religions in Chicago. And um, what that reminds me of is, I, I, it takes me back to those early days with Michael, especially when um, my practice was worry. <laughs> mm. You know, that was my practice mm -hmm. to worry. And uh, I remember he, we, we were traveling around the United States and in a camper when we were first together and we travel for quite a few months um, touring the U.S. And I was, I was worried about, okay, how, how, how is this all going to turn out? And he would say, um, it will turn out. And I said, yeah, but how? Yeah, but how? And I kept <laughs> right. asking, yeah, but how? I mean, I, I wanted to uh -huh. know, you know, I mean, we have this deep need to control the future, to know the future, and, and it's our human tendency to want to control the future or want to know the future. And for for me, I, I had to learn to practice to hold that future loosely, to not know the future, and to really give it some some breath, mm. give it give it some room, give it a big pasture, because if if we start to hone in on well, this is the way it's going to have to be, or this is this is how I'm I want it to be, then we're going to start to limit our possibilities. And I know many teachers, let's say Angelus Arian is one, she she would she would often talk about letting go of outcomes. She would her her principles were primarily to show up or choose to be present, pay attention to what is hard and meaning, tell the truth without blame or judgment. These are all great principles. 
And and her last one, her fourth principle was be open to outcome, but not attached to outcome. And it just goes back to what I, I'm reminded the first time that um, we did an interview with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, mm. which happened um, many years ago uh, mm-hmm. in uh, Costa Rica when Michael and I attended a conference called Seeking the True Meaning of Peace. And I remember vividly how uh, at one point at the end of that conference, we were in this beautiful opera house in central San Jose in central Costa Rica. And and it was kind of a question and answer session that people could write out a question and they were presented to His Holiness. And one of the questions um, and comments that came up was somebody said, well, Your Holiness, you know, you probably will never get back to Tibet. And and there is a genocide happening with your people. And I don't understand why you go around being happy all the time. Mm. And I'll never forget his answer. He, he said, well, uh, when I'm happy, it makes me feel better. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, right, okay, that's number one, that's number one. And number two, he said, you know, I don't know the future. I don't know how this is all going to come out. But I know that what makes me feel good is for me to do what is right and good for me to do, even though I don't know the future, even though I don't know the outcome. And that changed my life, as well as Michael helping me to to get out of worry and to let go of of a need to know how things are going to turn out, uh, is it really helped me a lot to to relax and to, again, going to those four keys, to be curious about, well, I wonder how this is going to turn out. And uh, I, I use that a lot now, that mm. I, I, I just don't know enough mm-hmm. to be pessimistic, <laughs> is what I would say. It reminds me of where, there's a saying, where our attention flows, energy goes. And I love what you're, you're sharing with us. It's, it reminds me of that there's also, on top of all of this, the possibility of a positive outcome. There's a possibility that something surprising could come and at any moment. And to, to be um, joyfully, perhaps, vigilant of where our attention and energy flows and to know that by showing up, by doing as the Dalai Lama says, um, sharing and, and being as, as best we can compassion and adding to that our action. There seems to be something to that. Well, we have a saying in New Dimensions, is, and, and it, this is uh, part of the book, True Work, um, whatever you give your fullness to will take you where you need to go. Mm. And it's a principle that, that I think really works in In our lives, whatever you give your fullness to will take you where you need to go. And it's like spirit, if if 
if I can put it in those terms, spirit really wants to work with us. But if we sit and we tie ourselves up in a chair and and we sit in the middle of our room and we're all tied up in a chair, spirit doesn't have a whole lot to work with. But if we give our fullness, if we get out, as, as we said, if we get out and circulate, if we stay curious about the future, if we uh, tap into hope about the future, but but not attached to how it's going to look, then we will, we will find synchronicities start coming to our lives. We start to see things mm-hmm. out of the corner of our eye. We start to, uh, people show up. Uh, different things will be, be presented to us uh, that we can really use. And there, there is then a momentum of creativity that begins to build in our lives. And Mm -hmm. I I think it's really important that we let go of the worry per se as an activity, except for where it might be useful to launch us into something useful. Mm -hmm. And I I would say one one of the practices that one might use in order to interrupt that litany of worry would be the practice of gratitude. Mm, mm-hmm. And and so if if you can if you realize that we're worry is kind of like the local weather and the sky beyond that local weather, you know, as you get on an airplane and 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 it's raining when the airplane takes off and then it goes up through the clouds and suddenly you break into this dazzling sunlight in this blue sky. So to know that beyond our local weather, there is this blue sky, and we might give it the name gratitude, uh, gratitude for our life, gratitude for our our beingness, gratitude for our friends, gratitude for our our animal companions, gratitude for the tree right outside our front door, gratitude for the ants that keep and the worms that keep the soil aerated, and you know, I mean, all sorts of things. So, uh, you know, gratitude. I'd love to end uh, by by contributing that particular practice of gratitude for the small and large things in our lives. Mm. Thank you so much, Justine. And I would like to express my gratitude to you and to New Dimensions Radio, to Michael Toms, wherever he is on his journey now. I've been speaking today with Justine Willis-Toms, author of Small Pleasures, Finding Grace in a Chaotic World, and she's also the co-founder and executive director and host of New Dimensions Radio. If you'd like to learn more about the work of Justine Willis-Toms, you may go to newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. And while there, you can also access the robust and inspiring archives and including conversations with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Joseph Campbell, President Jimmy Carter, Gene Houston, and so many more, Catalysts for Change. That's all at the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Molly Rowan Leach, and it's been a pleasure to be with you today. 
This is program number 3567. You've been listening to On the Rise, a project of New Dimensions Radio, produced and hosted by Molly Rowan Leach. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.